Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. From an offense. From an offense. Four minutes. From an offense. From an offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world you get in four minutes. We start things off in Dallas, Texas. We'll do U of A next and go college. Suns, they lose to Dallas 123-112. They had six more turnovers in the Mavericks. They allowed a 52-33 run over the last 16 minutes to blow a nine-point lead. Doncic, one rebound behind a triple-double. 41 points, 11 boards, excuse me, 11 assists and nine boards. KD went and Royce O'Neal went. Two of eight from three. Frank Vogel, what happened with some of those bad possessions? You know, we got congested. You know, when we were trying to attack, uh, we didn't space appropriately. So it uh, led to some tough possessions. But, you know, I'm happy with how, uh, how our guys battled, but it wasn't good enough tonight. That is U of A's, excuse me, that is the Suns. Another loss. They flip-flop spots in the standing. Suns drop back to number six. Back end of a back-to-back tonight. They're in Houston. Tip-off at 6 o'clock. We'll do ASU. Up next is U of A. ASU fought back from a 20-point deficit when Bobby Hurley benched his entire starting unit. They lost 84-82 in overtime in the final 44 seconds of regulation. ASU went one of six from the free throw line that allowed the game to go to OT. Frankie Collins, 21 points, eight boards. That's nice. But the point guard only had two assists and he fouled out. Bobby Hurley, what'd you think of a 21-point deficit and the comeback? Yeah, it's, I, I feel like uh, you know, Jekyll and Hyde. There's, there's a side of me that has, is furious, and then there's another side that, that has great admiration for what I saw. So I'm really torn right now about how to feel. So. Yeah, he's pretty fired up. ASU is home coming up tomorrow night. They host Wazoo. And Wazoo's in first place as they leapfrog U of A, dropping them in a 77-74 contest in Tucson. Jalen Wells had 27 points, but most importantly, he had four points with 24 seconds left. He hits a three, and Keyshawn Johnson fouled him. Tommy Lloyd said, well, that's life. Probably got a little overzealous in his closeout and, you know, ends up fouling a three-point shooter, and the, and the kid just was all net, you know. So, uh, you know, you got to tip your hat to Washington State. Wow, that's tough giving up the uh, four-point play. First home loss. Love went for 27, but he was four of 12 from three. Up next, home against UW tomorrow at noon. Everybody lost. Suns at all three college basketball teams. GCU lost to Tarleton State, 77-74. Grant Foster did go for 25-13, but they got crushed at the free throw line where Tarleton State had 29 points. Lopes at Abilene Christian tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock. It starts today. Cactus League for the Diamondbacks. They're on the road, but they're still at Salt River Fields against Colorado. Tommy Henry goes for the D-backs. First pitch at 1 o'clock. Another day, another firing. They fired Drew Grigson. He's no longer the director of player personnel. One day after we found out, they dumped Quentin Harris, the vice president of player personnel. 
Isaiah Stewart had a good day yesterday. The charges were dropped in Maricopa County for punching Drew Eubanks in the bowels of the arena. And the league only gave him a three-day uh, suspension. And finally, oh, how about this mother of the year candidate from the Czech Republic? She's going on a ski vacation in Italy. Her four-year-old son throws a fit, decides he doesn't want to ski. So what does she do? She leaves him in the car and goes skiing. The police are informed because people walking by the car hear the kid going crazy. The police don't want to scare the kid and bash in the window. So they announce on the PA system throughout the resort, demanding the mother come to the car. She did. 90 minutes later... As she was there, the mom threw a fit, saying it wasn't her fault. Why? Because I put my 13-year-old son in charge. She found out later he did the same thing. Got sick of sitting in the car and did what she did. He went skiing. <laughs> like mother, like son. Uh, she was arrested. <laughs> Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass, Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedworldwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. the Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our Honky Tonk Brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. Okay, right when I thought I knew all of the trash, the man talked. I just, I just looked over, seeing if there's anything breaking on Twitter, and I found one more piece of trash that is just absolutely outstanding, and I love it. Here we go, it's a Friday. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world. Totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and your TV every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merc. Oh, look at me. Did I forget something? This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Well, how did I get through it so fast? 
I have no idea. Welcome. Well, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, Amazon, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, and Apple, thank you. Thank you. For those of you watching WTSMTV.com, I don't know either. That, that's the answer to your question. I don't, I don't know either. <laughs> your, the question is, Doug, why are you in the dark? Truthful, I'm not. I'm not in the dark. But for some reason, the camera looks like I am in the dark. And poor Izzy has been running around like crazy trying to edit the sound of the show without an email from me last night knowing what I want. Then seeing when we got in here, wow, this is screwy, trying to fix that while trying to put together the four-minute offense. The young man's been running around like a nut job. So I'm like, all right, hey, it is what it is. And, uh, and hopefully that uh, CEO Chris or Jeff Weir Production will come in see if they can fiddle with something but i don't mean to say that is he because it makes it sound like you don't you don't have any idea what you're doing with the camera that's exactly what isn't that what you went to school for what was your official major oh yeah communication so yeah all the camera camera okay so if if we're gonna be honest here I pretty much was skipping just to go to TV and radio class, but I was mainly focused on <laughs> <into> radio. So, <laughs> I, so in terms of me learning a bunch, you know, that was, oh, I get that it. was up in the air. I, I took one video class, and that was it. And I just thought, this is dumb. I don't, I don't want to mess with this at all. I'm, uh, uh, well, at the time, I was good looking, so I shouldn't have thought like this, but I didn't know I was going to get fat and lose my hair. But I, I thought, I'm a radio guy. I wanted to do radio, baseball radio play-by-play was my singular focus. So I, after... One year of editing video and toting around a camera. I did convince a, a college buddy of mine to jump off the roof, and I filmed it. Uh, <laughs> luckily, now you look back, man, thank God he didn't break his ankle, and I would have had that on. Maybe I should have looked at it differently. I wish he would have broken his ankle. Maybe that would have looked awesome on my video. But he uh, he was a wrestler, so he like wrestlers know how to fall. It's kind of weird. Yes. So, yeah, see what I mean? Yeah, they know how to fall. So he landed and immediately went into this role. And I was like, wow, that, was, that seemed kind of athletic. And he didn't seem like an athlete uh, at all. Um, I'm on, I am in a totally weird haze. So maybe it's good that, I'm, that I look like I'm in the dark. I told you yesterday, uh, I didn't have an opportunity to stay up and do my normal stuff Wednesday night to get ready for Thursday's show. So I had to get up at 2 o'clock Thursday morning. I didn't take a nap yesterday. So I was here at work from about... I would say 5.15 until about 3. Then I went home and immediately started working. And I got so tired. I watched the Suns, ASU, and U of A all while standing up walking around the room. Because that was the only way I could keep myself awake. It was crazy. So, therefore, as soon as the last game was over, you know, I, I sent Izzy an email just about the order of the show, but no notes on any press conferences. Just said, knock yourself out, please find me stuff. And that was it. So I was exhausted last night. And then Izzy comes in and does everything. So he was, uh, he was fantastic. So I don't care that the camera's dark because I know how good of the show, how good the show is, uh, is, is going to be. But I, Izzy, I told you while you were running around doing stuff, you might not have heard me. I just looked over and I follow a guy named Reggie Rankin. And the reason why I follow him is he's a Bobcat, but he's also an assistant with the Golden State Warriors. And he retweeted a Twitter handle that is Super 70s Sports. Okay? Super 70s Sports. Now, I don't know why they quote Larry Bird as a Celtic, because Larry Bird 
for the most part, is a Celtic in the 80s and 90s. He's not a Celtic in the 70s. So even though it's a little bit juxtaposed, this is funny. Now, keep in mind when I'm saying this to you. This is Larry Bird talking to Charles Barkley. Sixers taking on the Celtics, okay? So do you have that in your mind, Izzy? It's Bird talking trash to Chuck, okay? Yeah. Here we go. Chuck, I need to talk to you. Y'all got a white guy trying to guard me. That's disrespectful. There's not a white guy on the planet that can guard me. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that came from... Now, for those of you that don't know, Larry Bird in some people's minds is actually the greatest trash talker of all time which sounds crazy but larry bird supposedly had multiple times where he would walk on the court in an under 60 second you know in a late timeout 20 seconds left in the game whatever he would come out onto the court and look at the guy guarding him and he would say, I'm going to run over here to my left and I'm going to fake that I'm going to go to the basket. Then I'm going to come back against the screen from Robert Parrish. I'm going to catch the ball right at the three-point arc. I'm going to pump fake. I'm going to step inside and I'm going to hit an 18-footer. And then he'd do it. <laughs> they would actually tell the guy what he's doing. There was one famous time where Casey Jones drew up a play at the end of the game for somebody else. And Bird said, no, 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 we're not doing any of that. And wiped the board clean, took the mark, the dry erase marker out of the coach's hand and said, I'm going to go here. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You ready? All right. Boom. And what happened? They did it. Like none of the players listened to the coach. They did what Bird said and he scored. (laughs) I mean, this guy is sick. He was absolutely sick the way that he played the game. And he was a decent athlete for like the first three, four, maybe even five years of his career. After that, he barely had any athleticism and still crushed everybody. It was, I was a magic guy, so I always rooted against Bird, but man. If it was an amazing time to be alive, to watch basketball being played by Magic and Bird and Chuck and Dr. J and to me, those legends, that was amazing. And then, of course, even though I was always rooting against Michael Jordan because I was bitter about I rooted it. I rooted for Jordan against the Pistons. But he won his first championship in 91 against the Lakers. And I was a Lakers fan at the time. uh, Not James Worthy. uh, uh, Gosh, what is his name? I can't remember his name. I'm thinking of Cheers, and I keep thinking of Sam Malone. And it's Sam Perkins. Sorry, Sam. Uh, Sam Perkins hit a huge three with four seconds left in game one at Chicago Stadium. So the Lakers are up 1-0 on the Bulls. And then the Bulls just whoosh. In his first championship, they just annihilate the Lakers in in the next four games. They win in five, and back then it was 2-3-2. So the Bulls won every game in L.A. Just smacked the Lakers, and I was bitter. So because of that, I always rooted against Michael. And then I liked that Lakers or that Suns team of 93, even though I didn't live here yet. 
so I was rooting for the Suns then, and then I uh, I was rooting for Reggie Miller and the Pacers to knock him off, and nobody ever did. Nobody ever did. I mean, technically the Magic did, but that was the year that Michael came back from baseball with about two or three weeks left in the in the season, and they just they weren't ready yet. And then they turned around and went another three. <laughs> just sick. Well, Go for it. Oh, I was just uh, even thinking about Larry Bird. I feel like a lot of people think that Luca running up the court was kind of slow. Like Larry yeah. Bird, he wasn't. I wouldn't call him. I wouldn't put necessarily call him fast. Right. I wouldn't necessarily uh, label him as a fast dude. But he was able to get to his spot, and he's shooting over. He's kind of like Kevin Durant. He shoots over exactly. his defenders, and it's just. You just pretty much shrug. You just shrug. What yeah. do you do in this yeah. situation? And he he only jumped about this high, yes. so he never got tired in that jump shot. He remind this is a crazy connection, but he reminds me a little bit of Jerry Rice in the sense that obviously if they raced, okay, Jerry would kill him. But if it was a race between Jerry Rice and the average cornerback in the NFL, Jerry Rice would lose every time, almost every single time. But Jerry's routes and his football IQ were so on point that he got to, he knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly how to get there to fool you, knew the angles that you didn't know, and he was there before you. And then you have an, a, 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 an accurate quarterback, you're a dead duck. In that way, Bird was similar, that you didn't know what he was going to do, and he got there with just enough space. And, and therefore, in that sense, he was faster than you because he was just so much quicker at knowing this is where I'm going. And, and nobody knew where he was going. And then by the time, when I say by the time they got there, I just mean getting a hand in his face. He had already gotten rid of the ball. He was, he, I mean, Larry Legend, it is a great phrase. And then the passing. Oh, my gosh. Yep. The, the passing. That's what I mean. You talk about having magic and bird. You know, think about it this way, Izzy. Not quite your generation, but the, the generation younger than you. Steph Curry might someday be considered one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And when I say someday be considered, like, I'm not ready to bench Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan in my starting backcourt of all time, okay? Now, maybe we just move Michael to the three, okay? We, we bump Larry Bird and we put Steph Curry at the two. Actually, I, I, I would agree with that now. I'm, just, I'm, I'm giving all the flowers to Larry, and then I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. I, I would kick him off, and I would put Michael at the three now, and I would put uh, Steph at the two. But having said that, Steph Curry changed the game to a level that is undescribable. If, I, just to give you a hint, and I, was a bad, I have a gorgeous-looking jump shot. It just doesn't go in. I think form is what matters and not you know, results. But this is what will throw you completely is if anybody in my generation playing in junior high or high school basketball would have ever pulled up for three, not even the shots that he takes distance-wise, just pulled up for three as often as he did, we would have been run into the ground and maybe even cut from the team, let alone the distance that he began shooting from. That is insane. So now what do you have? You have 414-year-olds that think half-court shots are, are in their game. And then Caitlin Clark joins in, and now you've got all of um, uh, young women doing the same thing. It's insane the way the game has changed. Well, the reason why I bring this up for my generation, we're not old enough to have known Bob Cousy. And even Bob Cousy is probably three generations before me. 
But even a Bob Cousy, it wasn't like they were on television all the time. So you see the old film. Pistol Pete never got on TV, even though he could shoot. He was a pretty good passer. Magic and Bird were the first ones of a televised generation that were crazy with the look-away passes. They were crazy with their vision. When, when it looked like they had no idea somebody was open. And the surprise, uh, that's Kevin McHale had incredible hands. But a lot of the other guys on the Celtics, it took a while. It took a couple taking a ball in the face before they realized the ball is coming type of things with Bird. What did that do to my generation? Oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how many laps I had to run for some ridiculous pass I made <laughs> because I'm trying to be magic. And number one, I know it's better for the team if somebody else shoots. But number two, I'm trying some over the head, flip it off the glass. I'm doing all these things. And think about it. I'm a 6'1 power forward who plays three minutes a game. And then what am I doing in practice? Throwing the ball all over the place. Yeah, probably not the smart. It's probably why I played three minutes a game, to be honest. But man, well, one loved thing, it. There was something that didn't really shock me that came out earlier with uh, Brandon Miller when he came out and he was like, well, I don't think LeBron is the greatest of all time. I think Paul George is. And I'll, and even though everybody flipped out, and, and I know this is also me being from Indiana, yeah. but I know a lot of people that agree with that sentiment that Paul George is the gold. And then, I mean, watching him play out of, in Indiana – I, I wouldn't necessarily call him the GOAT. Yeah. He was really good. He was an all-star. I give him that. But, uh, yeah. we haven't. Don't you have to be the best pacer before we can say you're the best player it, it, of all time? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. he's not even the best pacer. Um, he's, of course, starting on the greatest pacer team of all time. But no way is he. No, he's not even remotely. Like, if I'm naming my team, my first play, my, my all-NBA team of life, and I mean one through 15, Paul George isn't on it. Right, yeah. So, But I do accept how little people know how great he was because he was a pacer. It, I mean, it took – Reggie had a great – most of his career he had a great point guard, and – Spike Lee helped. Spike Lee helped a lot. The, the way Reggie rose to the occasion time and time again in New York, you, you need to either make it in New York or be hated by New York in, in order to be elevated. And he was. So therefore, by being hated in New York, that brought so much energy to Reggie's game. He was. And then there was the classic what is it, eight points in 13 seconds yep, that yep. he had in the guard? <laughs> That's still <laughs> crazy. And then he looks at Spike Lee and does the, the chin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He was fantastic. I, it's, still, it's still crushing that he didn't beat Jordan in that Eastern Conference Finals when they were right there. And there's like two games where Reggie hit a late bucket to win it. And the place, go, Market Square Arena, yeah, like you, you've heard the cheesy line, they're blowing the top off. I mean, yep. it was crazy. And yet there's one guy who's not moving, and it was Bird. The head coach is like, what are you talking about? What? You, you guys really that thrilled somebody hit a last second shot? You know how many I have? You know, it was funny. He wouldn't move on the bench at all while everybody else was jumping up and down and going crazy. I wasn't a Pacers fan, but I was an anti-Bulls fan. So I was rooting like crazy <laughs> for, uh, for all of the Pacers to, uh, to do something. Hey, by the way, Send me an email, Doug at DougFranzUnplugged.com. This show is for you as a member of the Unplugged Army. So I've got an outline. I've got a format. I've got things I want to get to. But just this little tweet and boom, Izzy and I go on a roll and, and talk old school. That's fun. 
I mean, that's a, that's just two guys sitting at a bar yapping sports. So if there's ever you don't you don't have to wait till Town Hall Tuesday. If you ever want to take over the intro as a fan of the show, just throw something out you want Izzy and I to talk about and and either reminisce or a topic you want me to answer and go a little deeper on than than the typical Town Hall Tuesday. We'll do it. The show doesn't exist. Well, without Whirlwood Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass and everybody else, but it doesn't exist without you. So therefore, own it. Take it. Do whatever you want with the show. Um, today is a beer Friday. I haven't even got my beer out yet. Well, that would have been a great time while we were talking. Yes, I have an old school cooler today. Oh, very well done, Izzy. Great beer! Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Here you go. Oh, cheers. Oh, yeah. That's one. I got to count today because I am officially driving. So I have to count how many beers I have today. <laughs> Remember, one an hour. You can have one drink an hour. You're good. Now, that doesn't mean drink for 12 hours straight and then, you know, be smart about it. But really, with the liver, the system, you get about one drink an hour and, uh, and, and then you're uh, not going to be over the legal limit. You'll, and, and who cares about the legal limit? Somebody's going to rip that off and think I'm a jerk. That was a bad statement. What I'm saying when I say who cares about the legal limit, don't try to toe the line of the legal limit. That's not a good idea either. Don't try to say, well, I'm a, I'm a .07, so I'm okay. All right? Let, let's, let, if you're in the Unplugged Army, let's not think like that. All right? If you're the one driving, it doesn't mean drink less than everybody else. It means be incredibly smart and fair to society and to your family. So please be smart. Um, but I'm jacked up today. Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Um, I got to tell you, just you and I talking, I think we didn't do a great job this time. And I don't blame you. General Josh carried us today. Um, we have a foursome from my friend Bill. And uh, General Mike, General Stavo, and a couple people have another foursome, and that's great. But almost the whole thing was filled up by General Josh today. And, but I, I'm not getting on you at all because I think I pushed this on Sweet Lou. I think it was my fault. Sweet Lou was a little late being able to get the website going and get everything up and running. So we had lower numbers than normal. And when we do these sanctioned events, man, I need you. However, can you do me a favor and try to blow me away at Trophy Bar today? I'm just going to tell you. Probably shouldn't, but I will. Starting in March, I'm really confident Santan Ford is going to start advertising on WTSM and Doug Franz Unplugged. You can see I'm getting weird (laughs) right now. They are one of the premier companies in the Valley when you talk about the amount of money they spend advertising-wise. And then when you look at how much they invest in the community, how many things they do for so many different people. And when, when, when this happened, I mean, this was Tim Hovick himself. I saw him at Trophy Bar one time. We're talking. He found out what I was doing and said, well, he wants to be a part of that. He didn't even ask, you know, what are your rates? What, what, what kind of ROI am I going to get? What, what can you offer? It was nothing like that. It was, I've always believed in what you do. I care about you. And, uh, and anything you're doing, I know would be good for our company. So what does that mean for you? Okay. 
I'm a Goodyear resident. I realize I it's too much to ask for you to drive from the far west side if you live there to drive all the way to Santan Ford to get all of your um, like garage stuff needs uh, anything you need to get the car fixed up. Whatever's going on in your life, your general maintenance is not something that I can ask you to go all the way out there. But I can ask you to go there the next time you're in the market to buy a car. The car is such a major purchase. I think it's unfair of me to say, "Go, you've got to buy a car there. I don't know what relationships you have with other people, things like that. I think it's totally fair to ask you to go to SantanFord.com when you're in the market for a car and check out the selection. I think it's fair to ask when you walk in to say, I'm in the unplugged army and, and get some special treatment. And, and really look at the selection. So if you're an east side guy, they've got a quick lane service for you to get oil changes and they even have a mobile service that will come out to do an oil change for you at your house, at your office, at your construction site, whatever. I don't think that's too much to ask. So if you're an east side guy, please start using Santan Ford for your general repairs, your general maintenance. And if you're a west side guy, please at least give them the chance to earn your business when you're ready to make that purchase. And if we go really well, I can afford a Mustang. and I've always wanted a Mustang. (laughs) You might have your dream car. And and of course, there's some foreign sports cars that are kind of cool. Yes, uh, I do. I don't I shouldn't be talking about this after I talk about a Ford dealership. I do like Corvettes. I think they're awesome. But man, I've always loved Mustangs. Not not the 80s, 90s version with that weird square box. But the 60s version and the current version, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you know, Doug Franz has finally made it from the firing when I get the Mustang. It'll be after McKenna graduates law school, though. Okay, so it'll be a while, but let's go. All right, I yapped way too long today. Look at this. I got Izzy did all this work, and here I am yapping about beer, basketball, and Mustangs. But... Man, it's awesome, you know? I love that stuff. So if you can't make it to golf today, you got to get to Trophy Bar. you got to get to Trophy Bar today. Happy hour from 5 to 7. I might even be there a little later. So please find time to come out to Trophy tonight for happy hour. Sound credits today, we got a lot of stuff. Um, Tommy Lloyd from the Wildcats YouTube channel. Bobby Hurley and Frankie Collins. Did we get that from Sun Devil Source, Izzy? We did. Okay, so from Sun Devil Source, we got that. The uh, Suns, did you get that from NBA Hoops? Where'd you, where'd you pull that? Uh, Phoenix Suns on YouTube. Oh, my gosh. Suns, thank you. They, use some, they always put stuff on YouTube, but sometimes it's like a day late. And so I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say that. It's not your job to carry Doug Franz Unplugged. But just as a fan, I think it's so much better as a fan to know I can wake up in the morning and see the pressers if I want to watch them. So thanks for getting that put up, Suns. And then uh, where'd you get the D-backs from? Uh, PHNX Diamondbacks. Good. So PHNX, thank you for uh, for sending out a D-backs reporter and and letting us use some of your stuff. I don't know if they know that I'm using it, but it's legal in our world as long as you give them credit. You're a jerk if you use it and you don't give the people credit that actually did the work to be there. So thanks, guys, for that. Uh, other than that, what are you doing this weekend, Izzy? You are, do you have time? You, do you have time to get out to uh, um, Trophy Bar tonight? Uh, I might just call it in. I might just call it early today, cause tomorrow, what? There's a I got a wrestling event to go to. Oh, and then Sunday, Suns game. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, hey, I totally get it. Hope to see you, but man, with all that you've got on, I can understand if you say I'm just shutting it down. And uh, and, and I totally well, get it. What time again? What time will you be at there? Again? I'm gonna 
My my tea time is at noon, so I should be done around four or four thirty. And then I'll I'll say thanks to a couple groups in case they're not going over, and then I'm going. So definitely five to seven for sure is when I'm there. They got chicken tenders, chicken tenders, fridge fries, chicken, I, the whole night. Oh, hours. they they got great pizza actually. Okay, well, uh, yeah, good. they do have wings. I don't know about like chicken tenders. I mean, I'm sure they have. A, I hate to say this, I'm sure they got a kids menu. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that like great chicken tenders are awesome. Like the chicken tenders at Bell's National Kitchen. Holy crap, are those good. Oh, I haven't had them yet. Yeah, they're good. But I don't want to stick my neck out for Trophy Bar, but I've had their pizza. It's really good. I've had their burgers. The thing for me is I'm Catholic, so I've got to have fish today or non-meat. And I didn't see fish on their menu. So I I was hoping to get a fish sandwich. So I don't know what I'm doing. I might have to have... I was about ready to... uh, I was about ready to call it something that I don't want anybody to know about my political persuasions. <laughs> I, uh, I need to, I'm going to have probably a veggie pizza, like pep, uh, not pepperoni, mushroom, onion, and, so, uh, and the sauce. So I get pepperoni, mushroom, onion, and sausage on my pizza. Uh, I'm probably going to have a mushroom, onion, and uh, I got to find some other veggie to put on there. But I'm probably going to have some kind of veggie pizza, unless Trophy Bar does have. I'd really like a fish sandwich. But we'll see what happens. Um, 6.33 is not when we should be doing Doug's Big One. But who cares? It's Beer Friday. Let's roll. Doug's Big One. Doug's Big One today. This thing, this really, really bothers me. This time it's not the who, but it still bothers me. Drew Grigson was fired by the Arizona Cardinals yesterday. At least that's when it was announced. I'm actually not standing here against the firing of Drew Grigson. This is a little unfair to say about Drew. I don't have any idea if he's good at his job. But I know one thing, he couldn't get Steve Kime to be good at his job the last three years. And without Terry McDonough having the authority anymore because of him getting his knees taken out by Michael Bidwill, the drafts were horrible the last three or four years of Steve Kime. And who, I mean, there's got to be people that deserve the blame, but I don't know how much to blame each person. But I look at Drew Grigson, I'm totally okay with him getting let go. I'm not okay with him letting, getting let go on February 22nd. This is just horrible, in my opinion, of how the Cardinals are treating people. Now, again, I want to give you another caveat. Full disclosure, I texted Quentin Harris yesterday of the Arizona Cardinals, and he did not text back. Okay, he might have signed an NDA. He might not have gotten the text or God forbid, a long time ago, he gave me a phone number that was from a phone that the Arizona Cardinals gave him. It wasn't his personal phone. And now the Cardinals know that I texted him. I I don't I don't know. But I didn't hear back from Q. Okay, so therefore, there is a chance that the Arizona Cardinals let these two men know a month ago they're going to be let go. And they had final duties to wrap up the season. But any organ, but I'm not going to give the Cardinals the benefit of the doubt. I want to say that to be fair, but I'm also going to tell you my opinion. When an organization treats people like they have their office staff, when an organization treats people like they have Terry McDonough and Steve Wilkes and, I, and, and, and Amanda Flanagan, I, I am not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. If you're going to make moves, you know you're going to make moves in November. You know that. Then, come January, you work with them 
on the final steps of the year, wrap things up, have them turn in free agent reports, have them turn, you're paying them, have them turn in everything to help your organization. And if you've got any class, you fire them before the senior bowl. The senior bowl is a great melting pot in Mobile, Alabama where they put in everybody. I mean, scouts are there. GMs are there. Anybody who cares about their organization is there. And that's a great place to go. Now, it's not like a Drew Grigson whose brother's already been a GM. It's not like a Quentin Harris who was an excellent college safety, a good NFL player, not great, but good, and then a fantastic executive for a long time who worked his way up. It's not like they don't have connections. But giving those men a chance to go to the Senior Bowl as independents, talk to people, make their own evaluations, things like that, that's what a classy organization does. And they reportedly got let go this week. So the Senior Bowl's already a month old for the most part. The Super Bowl is already done. And you spent three more weeks with your organization. Now, teams are getting prepared to leave for the Combine. They're going to the combine. The Cardinals, if they were sitting here, might look right at this camera, call me names, say I'm being rude, dishonest, whatever they want to say, and then try to explain to you, as long as we let them go before the combine, that's what matters. I disagree. I say you've got to let people go by the senior bowl so they have a gig by the combine. That way, they're already walking into the combine with a role on the new team. And more importantly, they're competing for a role with the team. When you let them go now, GM spots are filled. Every assistant GM and vice president of player personnel, pro personnel, blah, blah, blah. All the major positions for well-run organizations are filled. So now you're dumping these two men out there in the real world with only a chance for a demotion before it even starts. It's just, it is totally unfair. And only a bad organization does that. And I, I want to be fair and say maybe it's the media that just is now finding this out. Maybe it's the media that's just reporting it. And then I would have to recant on everything I just said about the Cardinals really treating these men poorly. But... I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the men over the Cardinals. And again, that's not a rant defending Drew Grigson. I don't, I don't have any idea if he's good at his job. And I don't have a relationship with him. And I put him as part of the blame for some of the problems. So again, I am not railroading the Cardinals for the firing of Drew Grigson. I'm railroading the Cardinals for the firing of two men in back-to-back days, as it's been announced, on February 21st and 22nd. Now, as far as the draft is concerned, since I've got you and I'm talking football, I want to talk about a tweet. I, I love the NFL draft. I love the NFL draft. Uh, Izzy, I don't know if you disagree with this. I think it's so easy to figure out what the Bears are doing. I, I don't think there's any drama. I think the Bears, with Carolina's number one pick that was traded to them last year, they're taking Caleb Williams number one overall. And they're trying to let make everybody think that there's a very good chance they're drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. And they want to give um, Fields one more year to see if he is a high-level quarterback. When I, again, let me repeat that. 
I think they're drafting Caleb Williams. I think they know they're drafting Caleb Williams, and they just want some people to think they're going to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. and give Fields another year. That way, it runs up the price for Fields, or it runs up the price for the pick if people are scared. Wait a minute, I'm not even going to get who I want. I'm not even going to get Harrison. So now you bring in non-quarterback-seeking teams to try to trade up for number one. I think they want everybody else oblivious to their plans. And I think everybody knows you're done with Justin Fields. That's how I feel. Do you feel the same way? I feel the complete opposite. You think Justin is staying? I think Justin is staying. Well, yeah, and this is me praying on it, too, that this, this is happening. But I do believe that the, the Chicago Bears will keep Justin Fields. They will trade that number one pick, or at least get Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the situation and try to build around Justin Fields after they got rid of the OC. Interesting. Interesting. So... I don't think we know enough about Justin Fields. However, I don't think Justin Fields is just like I don't think the offensive coordinator and the coaching staff has done a good job with Justin Fields. I also, you know, never forget this. If Justin Fields played well, the offensive coordinators and coaches probably would still have a job. So True, yeah. it, it is it is a 50-50 split, but I'm for me it's a little about 60-40 on the coaches. Okay? So I do get that. But Am I willing to gamble that if I'm a new general manager, I am 100% right. It was always coaching. And Justin Fields is better than Caleb Williams. He's better than May. He's better than Jaden Daniels. I mean, you are, in a sense, as a new GM, you are drafting Justin Fields if you decide to stay with him. Keep that in mind. You've had four years of evidence, and now you're drafting Justin Fields when you don't draft the other quarterbacks. The reason why I bring all this up, Got a, I saw a tweet from Kurt Warner that absolutely fascinated me. Here we go. I know many of you love college football, but as I start to dive into these college QBs, it's hard for me to watch. Very few play on schedule. That means, boom, you drop back when you're on schedule, read, 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 out, you know, and really read the defense. There's two ways to do your progressions. One is a flat, straight progression where you're going, that's my number one, that's my number two, that's my number three, that's my number four, okay? Sometimes that's a uh, progression. Oh, wait, 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 Jeff Weir production, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Uh, cheers. cheers. There we go. There we go. Um, Jeff has been in hiding. He's been working on the, behind the scenes everywhere. So he, he hasn't come in studio yet, and he didn't know he had his beer here. So with that, with Justin Fields, I'm thinking, or excuse me, with other quarterbacks and their progressions, the other way to read progression is to look at the defense first and then realize what player have you put into a predicament? What player can I read one player and figure out who's going to be open based on the defense? That's a different way to do it. Well, with what he's saying, that, that's what it means to play on schedule. The pass concepts are a mess most of the time. They run the same play over and over or a million bubble screens. Can't find many concepts that translate to the next level. And then people are asked to figure out how good that quarterback is going to be on the next level. He says it's nearly impossible. For me, C.J. Stroud is a great example. Again, I'm reading a tweet from Kurt Warner. 
For me, C.J. Stroud is a great example. Obviously, really good in college in Ohio State, does run more pro-style concepts than most. But they didn't ask him to process and get the ball out quickly, as Houston did. And yet he did it. So I had no idea he would be this good at processing so fast. He's better in the NFL than what we got to see in college. Many times you just don't know until you know. Now, if you thought that dragged on a little bit longer, I'm a bad reader. Let me condense this. One of the best quarterback evaluators in the game, even though he's not hired by a team, says, I'm looking at the college quarterbacks of this year's draft. There might be three taken in the top three. There might be five taken in the top round. And he's saying the quarterbacks are not crap, but the evaluations are crap. They're not doing anything that is considered a pro concept enough to judge them as a pro quarterback. And yet you as a GM are about ready to throw everything away for that guy. I love this concept, this conversation, exactly for the reasons Izzy brought up. Are you 100% sure Caleb Williams is better than Justin Fields? I'm not. Truthfully, I'll look right at you and say, to me, the best quarterback in this draft is Jaden Daniels. I don't think it's even close. Now, here's where I'll really throw you. I wouldn't draft Jaden Daniels. And you're going to wait, what? I think Jaden Daniels, talent-wise, has an opportunity. I don't look at him as a Hall of Famer, but I look at him as a Pro Bowl excellent quarterback that you could win a Super Bowl with. Yes, I said that. And I still wouldn't draft him. And you're like... You might think that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. You think he could win a Super Bowl and you wouldn't draft him. I think he can win a Super Bowl and I would not draft him. Okay. I've, I've strung you out to, 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 to dry, hung you out to dry enough. You're wondering why. The reason I tell you that is this. I don't think he's going to make it. I don't think there's any way that man can play 17 games a year. I don't think that man can play 14 games a year. I think with the way he runs, the way he takes hits, and how skinny his body is, I'm not saying he's going to play like RG3. I think he's a much better quarterback than RG3. But I think his body will hold up like RG3. There's, I do not believe in Jaden Daniels' ability at the NFL level to stay healthy at all. That's why I wouldn't touch him. So if I'm the Bears... I love the idea of trading down. I'm telling you, I love Roma Dunze. I am not mocking any of you that like Marvin Harrison. But if I'm the Bears, I have to accept one thing. We stink. <laughs> we, it's not just Justin Fields. It's not just the coaches. We stink. And when we do draft a great player, we trade him to the Ravens. Okay? So I, they stink. So I'm trading down. Not for anybody in particular. I'm getting as many picks as I possibly can. And I'm letting people fight for quarterback and Marvin Harrison. And I'm taking Roma Dunze with my first pick for wherever I drop. I, In my opinion, I actually get, yes, I'm the only person that thinks this. I think Roma Dunze is the best receiver in the draft. If I'm wrong, I guarantee you he's close enough to Marvin Harrison Jr. that I'm going to be okay. I still get Roma Dunze. I get to see if Justin Fields is better. And if I have to get another quarterback, I'll do it later. 
I am worried about every other position right now. We are so bad. I'm saying this as if I'm the Bears general manager. That's my idea. And reading what Kurt Warner says makes me even more convicted in that. My, My opinion on Caleb Williams is this. I do think he's fantastic. But I see a lot of a quarterback that's not going to make sense to you in this comparison. I see a lot of Jameis Winston in him. Now, body type, they're not even close. Athletically, they're not even close. Caleb Williams is by far a better athlete than Jameis Winston. But they both have terrible turnover problems, in my opinion. Jameis Winston somehow has a God complex and thinks he can put passes where he has no business putting passes. To me, Caleb Williams, it's a fumble problem. I think Caleb Williams is going to be a great fumbler in the NFL. And I don't want to trust him to get it fixed. There's a lot of offensive coordinators and head coaches right now that let's say they did respect me. They have now turned off the television or shut their phone down. Because a lot of them will say, oh my gosh, you know how easy it is for me to correct fumbles? I just do this in a drill. We drill it every day. Get the ball here. Do this. Do this. He'll stop fumbling. Okay, if you say so. But you know how many times I've heard people say this guy will stop fumbling? And what do they do? They keep fumbling. I'm too scared to dump Justin Fields, build my whole world around Caleb Williams, and then have him be a fumble machine, have the city of Chicago say, here we go again, while I'm trying to teach him not to fumble. That's, that's too many ifs for me for a team that I think is terrible. Everybody knows you cannot win without a quarterback. I agree. But a good quarterback cannot win with a crappy team, and I think they're a crappy team. So fine if you are so sold that Caleb Williams is the guy it's not only that he's the guy five years from now seven years from now he's got to be the guy while you're struggling he's got to be able to be the guy when the team stinks to be able to handle all of Chicago saying it's Caleb Williams's fault he's got to be Troy Aikman won one game his rookie year think about that one game And everybody in Dallas thought he was the problem. You've got to be able to handle that. That's a lot to ask. A lot to ask. You know somebody who couldn't handle it? Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. The problems of the Cardinals start at Michael Bidwell, Steve Kime, Cliff Kingsbury, then Kyler. Okay? He's in fourth place in the problems with the Arizona Cardinals. Doesn't change the fact that he couldn't handle it. Now, regime change there are reasons why some of you believe in Kyler Murray I don't but I'm not mocking you if you do at all I under I saw the same things you did last year the same negatives and positives and if you hold on to the positives I don't think you're being a cheesy guy with rose-colored glasses believing too much in a guy I, I understand I understand totally I know why you think that And he did seem to change a little bit last year. I'm still more, I saw too many terrible things before. I know too many things from from the previous regime that I'm not going to support Kyler until he does something special. Until he doesn't throw pick sixes underhanded from the end zone in a playoff game. If he can go a whole playoff game without doing that, I'll believe in Kyler Murray again. But I look at that and say, when I look at the quarterbacks in this situation, if you're drafting a new one, Bears, can he handle it? Because that's going to be the most difficult thing. 
they're not a playoff contender until 2026, no matter how well they do in this draft. They're that bad. I, I got to disagree with that one. Oh, I, boy, I, here we go. I, I got to disagree with that you one. You think they're good and missing a quarterback? Oh, man, no. Or a coach, because you said coaching before. Well, I think they got all their problems somewhat situated. It's just a matter of finding the right pieces, getting star talent as well to also replace the guys that are going to be there that are pretty much placeholders in that Mm -hmm. certain time. But I think the defense improved mightily this season. The offense, with the help of DJ Moore, I think is a huge help. He can also need another wide receiver, too, on top of that. Darnell Mm -hmm. Mooney's going to be leaving. Uh, the tight end Cole Komet, I think he's solid. Like yeah. the, the team is young. It's a young core. I think they're going to be ready within the next couple years. I thought this year they were going to win at least close to – actually, me and uh, Jeff talked about winning five games. And Jeff, me and Jeff had a back and forth of whether they were <laughs> going to make it to five. I had them going eight. And I think they can even do that ne- – I think they can do that next year. And my, I think- one of my favorite stats is your defensive quarterback rating. What that stat – means to me is that lets me know how good your defense is at making the other team's quarterback irrelevant of who it is right look good or bad the bears were 12th so that means they're barely better than average in what the other team's quarterback is doing so when you say that you like their defense okay they're okay but is it really is it really that good it's up for improvement. Okay. It's up for improvement. That's so, fair. In terms of, I wouldn't give them till 2026. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Now, this one, here's a different stat. How many times your quarterback is sacked per game? Now, keep, that's a problem. Keep in mind, this is huge. This is organizational. This is who is the general manager drafting. This is the quarterback reading the defense quickly enough to get the ball out. This is receivers getting open. This is the players on the O-line. How are they being coached and how are they executing? And it's the coach playing call, call playing. Yeah, play calling. You can, I mean, you can take anybody down on this stat that you want to. The Bears, in, in having their quarterback sacked, it's three times a game. Now, you might say, okay, that means nothing. You're right. But that's 25th in the NFL. There are 24 teams better at protecting the quarterback than the Bears. I look at that and I say, okay, they don't protect the quarterback well. They're average at stopping the other team's quarterback. And I'm still bitter about the Roquan Smith trade. I thought that was a fantastic draft pick. And what are you doing? So I'm looking at the whole organization. So I've downgraded everybody after that happened. So that's why I look at this team. And saying, okay, you're in a division where the Packers clearly are better than we thought they were going to be without Aaron Rodgers. You're in a division where I don't think the Lions are going anywhere. I think they are totally for real with having a guy like Chris Spielman in charge and having a coach like Dan Campbell being a nut job. I think it's perfect for that city. And then I, I, I don't know um, what to think about Minnesota. I, they don't scare me, but they don't. But I don't think they're like terrible. I, I think they're just like a seven, eight, nine win team every year. Not make the playoffs or lose in the first round, one or the other. So with that, I think the Bears are worse than all of them. 
so now you've got to make it as a wild card team. And if you're going to make the playoffs as a wild card team, you know Dallas is going to choke, but they're going to make the playoffs. So Dallas and Philly will almost always go to the playoffs. I don't believe in Washington or New York. Maybe Washington turns it around later, but no, I don't believe. I have to think San Francisco and the Rams are always going to be fighting. So there's a playoff spot that's going to go to that division. The South, who are you scared of? Okay, the South, they win one. They get one playoff spot, but they don't go to the wild card. So that means the Bears have to be better than, when I'm listing these teams, Lions, Packers, Vikings, uh, Philly and or Dallas, San Francisco and or uh, L.A. And the reason why I'm giving you the and or is one of those teams win the division, so they're in. But the Bears have to be better than at least four of those six teams. When, when they're on, I definitely, in full belief, with what I have seen from the Chicago Bears team, they can win that division. I will no, stand on that. I will stand division. on that. No. I'll stand on that. And right. the only team that scares me in that division is the Lions. The Lions, for right now, I can fully admit that is their, con- that is their division, 100%. I do think the Bears can what? win it, but for now and for the Okay, next- right now you choose. You are the general manager for the Bears. Okay. Do you want Jordan Love or Justin Fields? Oh, Justin Fields. Wow. I want Jordan Love. I do no. not want Jordan what? Love. What didn't Jordan Love prove last year? After all the crap he's been through. I, again, I'm not trying to argue. I'm not standing on the table saying, I think Jordan Love's the best. He's, I don't even think he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. But if I'm comparing him to Justin Fields, Jordan Love. Jordan Love. I, I, don't, I don't want to. Not, I will give credit where credit is due. Just, Jordan Love has been a, a, was amazing last year. He did have his inconsistencies where he was a little inaccurate. And yeah, definitely yeah. couldn't be a turnover machine at that. Justin Fields, his, that, the IQ isn't there. Like, he waits till people start grabbing him to be like, all right, now it's time for you to start running. <laughs> you know, I, I guess it's time for me to use my legs. So, yeah, as soon as he gets that, uh, his awareness down packed, Justin Fields still has a lot more time to grow. And when he does, I do think he'll be better than Jordan Love. So, I'm, go- I'm going based off potential here. Okay, as of right now, okay. I can't say Jordan you're Love. You're still yeah. wrong, but you're not as wrong anyway. <laughs> uh, um, here's the thing. Now, here's the question that is on everybody's mind. The entire Unplugged Army is looking at you right now with this question. Jordan Love or Devin Booker? Come on. Oh, come on. Oh, see. Oh, can I explode? Can I just, can I, <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say the name Devin Booker because you knew your Devin Booker is going to have a better career than Jordan Love and you didn't want to, you didn't want to say it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that, yeah that's, there you go. But that's the thing. If if, if uh, the time comes, Devin Booker retires, then somehow I get a vote. I'd vote him in. Yeah. I'd vote him into the whole yeah. thing. Hey, full disclosure, I, this is just between you and I. I don't want the Unplugged Army to know this. I hated Kobe and rooted against him every second of the day. Really? Absolutely. Now, here's why. I was a bitter Lakers fan, so I felt like he ran off Shaq. And I was mad about that. He shot an air ball in the playoffs when Dell Harris demanded he get the last shot as a rookie when he wasn't there yet. He wasn't there yet. And then all of his first two years, he's telling people like Rick Fox and all of these veterans, you guys calm down. I'm the great Kobe Bryant. Then he would have games where he was bitter and he would like people would be mad at him for shooting. So he'd go a whole half without shooting just to try to prove to everybody. See, without me shooting, he would lose games on purpose to prove to everybody buddy I'm the man when he was young granted he was immature but when he was young he wanted to be Jordan so bad that he mimicked everything Jordan did just so you would think that's Jordan instead of just win the game and then there's a great line I'll never forget from the great American philosopher Nick Van Exel 
And one time they asked Nick Van Exel, why are you guys passing the ball so well? Why is the ball movement improved? And it was a time when Kobe was hurt. And Nick Van Exel said, because we know if we pass, we might get the ball back. <laughs> so I, I hated Kobe and he pushed me away from being a Lakers fan. I was a Lakers fan from the time I was five years old until I was deep into my 30s. And I was living in Kansas City at the time as a talk show host. And I, after Kobe ran off Shaq, I said, that's it. I'm no longer a Lakers fan. The Suns had this on me. I did love the Marley Charles Barkley 93 team. I loved that team, even though I was pissed at them because I was still a Lakers fan. And all of you hardcore Suns fans, but this is the craziest show I've ever done. I'm like, I've accomplished nothing and it's seven o'clock, but I'm having a great time. <laughs> but I tell you, th- those of you that are hardcore Suns fans, you'll remember this. I was so mad at this Suns team, but I loved them. I couldn't help it. That was the year, Izzy, and I don't think you know this, that the Suns might have been the one seed. Maybe I'm wrong and they're the two seed. They play the Lakers in the first round. And in the first round in those days, it was only best of five. And the Suns lost game one downtown. Then they lost game two. So they're like the one or two seed down 0-2 to the Lakers. And Paul Westfall sits there and looks at the camera. And everybody in the media is panning. And he goes, listen, listen, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to L.A., and we're going to win game three. It's hard to close out a game. We're too good. We're not going to get swept. So we're going to win game three. Then the Lakers are going to feel the pressure because they know they've got to win game four. And they won't like that pressure. We'll handle the pressure just fine. We'll win game four. Then we'll come back here in front of our own home crowd. We'll win game five. And everybody's going to say what a great series it is. And I'm a Lakers fan. I'm like... You're a jerk. What do you mean? No. So now it's all about Paul Westfall. But what he did in his brilliance, it became no more pressure on Chuck. No more pressure on Thunder. Nothing on Kevin Johnson. All the pressure was now on Paul Westfall for saying that. And then the Suns just killed him. Just killed him. And beat the Lakers in three games. So I'm so mad at them mocking my Lakers. But I'm... I'm still so impressed that it happened. And I still love Dan Marley and I love Chuck. So I love that team. Now I'm living in Kansas City. Shaq gets run off by Kobe. I'm pissed off at that. I already don't like Kobe for the things he did that were unfair for me to judge at the time, but I was kind of a kid too. And he was immature, so I didn't like that. And I would stay up late and watch seven seconds or less. I would watch Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. And at the time, I I hate to admit this. Please don't tell anybody this. I liked Boris Diaw early, not later, but I liked him early. And I thought, man, this is basketball. This is like the Showtime Lakers. This is what basketball is supposed to be. To me, it wasn't that I left the Lakers. It was the Lakers stopped being Showtime and the Suns were Showtime. I loved it. So I wasn't a Suns like fan but I was a son's lover. It's like I wanted somebody to adopt me. Well, then what happens? I get the opportunity of a lifetime to move to Phoenix at the heart of seven seconds or less. And I've told this part of the story before. The two people that called me when I first moved to town, Derek Hall of the Arizona Diamondbacks and Rick Welts, who was the president of the Suns, they both welcomed me to the, to the, to the Valley and both said, if there's anything you need, let, it, let me know. And I, I can't believe I did this. This is kind of haughty, I admit. But I told Rick, well, if, if you really mean that, my wife's a singer. 
she's a fantastic singer. I would love for her to sing the anthem at a Suns game. Can, can, can we set that up just so I can talk about it on air that we're doing that and it's a great way for me to kind of come into the valley and for people to get to know because let's face it nobody knew Doug and Wolf at the beginning okay we were bottom of the barrel lowest totem pole and he said sure trusted me just for saying that and they gave the family the black seats <laughs> We sat in the front row. Jennifer sings the anthem, comes over to sit. I'm, I get dinner. Like, I, like I've heard my wife sing. I'm like, man, wait, I, I got all this free beer and free food in one of the, in that, that area underneath. I'm seeing all these rich people. I'm seeing all these former players. I'm making contacts with people. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden, uh, Vienna says, Daddy, when's mommy going to sing? Oh, I guess you want to hear mommy, don't you? Okay, hurry up. Hurry up, girls. Hurry up. Finish that. Finish that. Uh, let Daddy go get a beer quick. And then we, we run out there. We don't, we don't quite get to the seat, but we're close. She sings. She crushes it. We're sitting on the black seats. And I'm like, this is home. This is home. So, boom. I dump the Lakers. I'm all in on the Suns because of Rick Welts and that first Suns game experience. And it just happens to be seven seconds or less seeing Steve Nash and Amari up close. And then they, uh, they roll in that, uh, in that season until, of course, Amari leaves the vicinity of the bench. But that was amazing. So there's there's a lot more stories than I ever anticipated. Uh, Izzy, you didn't get to hardly say it. Do you have any bear stories you want to tell about embarrassing quarterbacks or anything? Embarrassing quarterbacks? Yeah. I, well, I hate Rex Grossman. I can throw that out there. I, I can't stand Rex Grossman with a passion. I, I agree. Like, yeah, and, I mean, granted, that also led me to my hatred for Indianapolis, for the Colts. And and I and this was kind of even horrible. And, and this is a, and I kind of told the story already, but there was a time where me and my friend we were we covered the Colts because okay. we were in Indianapolis at the time. Yeah. They, it was a Bears preseason game, the Bears and Colts, and we had to. It was a pretty much a flip of a coin of who was going to go. Yeah. And so I got the chance to go, but my dad was in town, so I was like, "All right, no, bro, you can go. You're a diehard Colts fan. You love the Colts. Go ahead." He also wrote for him as well. So okay. he goes out there. That is the night that Andrew Luck retired. Oh my. So gosh. he was in front row watching pretty much his idol quarterback retiring and uh, he was a mess for like a week yeah. like you know I was just like and that's I mean granted I don't I don't, don't want to make light of that because Andrew Luck Man, went through a whole Luck lot was getting like, booed at halftime because Schefter broke the news and even and even beforehand we were we did uh, uh. their training camp and Andrew Luck walked right past us. We asked him for an interview, and he goes, no. And we're like, oh, okay, that's cool. He was like, no, I don't mean no as in, like, you know, disrespect. He says, I mean no as in, you know, no, thank you. I can't do it right now. Uh, but he was with his kids. Wow. And his wife was pregnant at the time, and we were like, it, it was like it was written in stone. Like, it was already set in yeah, stone. That's what was happening. I get like, it. I it get was, it. It was crazy. I get it. I, I did something dumb. The Pro Bowl was here one year, and I ran onto the field, and I know Andrew Luck's dad. I don't know Andrew at all, oh, yeah. but I know his dad. And, and, and in a small way, his dad was a teammate of Wolf's. So that's how I got to know him. So I ran onto the field to say, hey, Andrew, I want to introduce myself. And he goes, do you, do you know where my family is? Can I, can I talk to my family before you do that? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. And then he takes two steps away. And then it's like, it's like he got a tap on the shoulder. And he turns around and says, I didn't mean to be rude. Uh, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's not rude. I, I'm a family guy. I just said, I'm Doug. I do a local talk show here in town. But... 
I've started a friendship with your dad and I just thought I should introduce myself because I really like your dad. And he goes, hey, that was that was kind of you. Um, are you going to be around? And maybe we'll talk later. And I said, I said, yeah, sure. And then admittedly, we never bumped into each other. But I thought, wow, that's that's a good dude. You know yeah. what I mean? That's that's a good dude. So I uh, I totally get that. This was this was fun story time. We now have 40 minutes to talk sons <laughs> and ASU and U of A and D-backs. Will we succeed? Absolutely not. But we're going to try to anyway. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged on a Beer Friday, headed out to Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Happy hour at Trophy. And we're all here giving hugs to Andrew Luck and mocking Izzy for loving Justin Fields over Jordan Love. None of that is next on Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on the home of the Raptors. This is WTSFTV.com. This time of year is absolute murder on your heating and cooling system in your home. Call Parker and Sons, 6022 Repair. Get a complete checkup. Here's why. You know what it's like this time of year in Phoenix. One day we've got 85 degrees, the next day we've got a high of 50. You're going from heater to air conditioner, sometimes in the same day. Get a checkup to make sure the routine maintenance is taken care of. Join the Parker family plan. Call 6022-REPAIR. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old, and I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally, we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. The next 45 minutes of Doug Franz Unplugged presented by Whirlwood Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. They're going to move pretty fast because I really want to give you daily content based on the actions of last night so you know about it but at the same time I'm not taking back anything that just happened in the last hour. I had a lot of fun with Izzy and I hope you had a lot of fun as a member of the Unplugged Army listening to it. Let's start with Suns. Suns a loser yesterday, 123 to 113. A little bit because of the turnovers. They had 16 and the Mavericks had 10. Bad run in which they lost the second half, 63 to 50. And that had a lot to do with a couple segments. Uh, really embarrassed themselves at the end of the first quarter. They, were, they controlled, the Suns controlled the first 10 minutes of the game. And then just laid a total egg in the last two minutes. Then laid another egg in the first 90 seconds of the second half. And then never really recovered. I, this was a strange game. And the reason why I say it was a strange game, I don't. it almost scares you. The Suns played really hard. Like, it's almost difficult to accept a loss because when, you, when you play terribly or you don't play hard because then we can just rip you. Here's the problem. The Suns played really hard. The Mavericks just beat them. (laughs) Like, I don't want to see that. And then, the really reason I don't like it is I still don't think Izzy was right, but everything Izzy was saying yesterday basically happened. That's kind of annoying. 
the Suns were not as good as the Dallas Mavericks. Now, you can argue, hey, they didn't have Bradley Beal. Okay, you're right. But does Bradley Beal really improve rebounding? I mean, really, they got like this is a topic that no one's really going to talk about and act like it was a big deal because other people don't focus on these things. The Suns got killed on the offensive glass. That really hurt, and it allowed Dallas to have multiple possessions. So you've got guys like, um, uh, I don't know, how, how do you blank on Doncic's name? But you've got guys like Doncic and Irving, and you're giving them, in a sense, multiple possessions. That is terrible. Now, statistically, it doesn't vibe with what I'm saying. Statistically, the Mavericks only had 10 offensive rebounds. I think that's a crock. I, I thought they had a lot. You know what? Let me go to team rebounds because I bet you they had some tip-outs where you don't give an individual rebound, but you give, well, it only, up, it only upped at one. So I look at that and say, how was that converted? And the offensive rebounds were converted to more points than what uh, the Suns were able to do. That was a big deal. And also the, uh, a little bit of an advantage in fast break points, which should never happen. That was the problem to me in this game. And I don't think Beal's just going to magically fix that. So there are issues. Now, granted, Royce O'Neal played like he was trying to prove himself. He went two for eight from three. And they were all seemed forced. And then when he missed a couple, it was like, I got to hurry up and make one to try to prove to everybody I belong and I'm going to help. I thought he played terrible, but tried hard. He's going to relax and he'll be okay. The Suns will be able to play better, but the things that a Royce O'Neal or a Bradley Beal will be able to bring to the table that makes them a better team aren't the reasons why they lost to the Mavericks. It's, you can't just wave the magic wand and say, well, once they play better, they beat the Mavs. No, you, you've got to figure out a lot more things than they did against uh, Kyrie and, uh, and Doncic. Let's go to the sound. Here's Frank Vogel, which is simply the matchup. Why do you guys struggle against the Mavericks? Uh, with enough attentiveness and um, you know, obviously we gave up that 15-0 or 16-0 run you know so uh, we had some lost possessions offensively and then you know Luca got going Luca against the five man is a, is a difficult coverage you know and he, he burned us three straight times on it and we had a transition three and a offensive rebound three you know that uh, you know led to that run um, so we got to be better there and you know obviously uh, we did get a little too stagnant uh, offensively with with iso ball but we just we didn't execute what we were looking to do well enough um, we had some breakdowns of what we were supposed to do so um, you know, it got congested, you know, when we were trying to attack, uh, we didn't space appropriately. So it uh, led to some tough possessions, but, you know, I'm happy with how, uh, how our guys battled, but it wasn't good enough tonight. That is a fantastic assessment. But I'm dying to know one simple question. Why? One of the greatest lines in basketball history is there's a guy named Red Auerbach. Okay, used to be the coach of the Celtics, then became the president of the Celtics, and then became an advisor to the Celtics as he got really old, and, and then of course passed away. Red Auerbach was getting drilled of why did you do this? Why didn't why didn't this work out? Why didn't this work out? And they were going at him, and finally he said, "Guys, we're not going out there to play solitaire." <laughs> Meaning, there's a, there's five human beings and a coaching staff and a scouting department who all worked to beat us today, and they succeeded. Okay. 
Get over it. And that's the way he handled it. With all due respect to the Mavericks, they won that game. They deserved that. They beat the Suns, okay? But I don't care about the Mavericks. I'm focused on the Suns. So that's why I asked the question. You said you didn't get to the things that you wanted to do. the, The players didn't execute what they were supposed to. You said there was a lot of iso ball. Why? My question is, why did they not execute? Did they not believe in your plan or did you not hold them accountable? It's one of the, I mean, you hate to say other than the other team's good. They've got players, but there's a reason why you don't execute. And it's not always the other team is good. Secondly, why did you play iso ball? That is not because the other team's defensive plans. Okay. That's you guys not moving the ball, moving for each other. My theory on this, and this hurts because Steve McCollum has been on this all year, and I, I agreed with him, but not strongly enough. So it's, it's, it's his credit, his point. What really happened in this game, timely offensive rebounds, and they destroyed Devin Booker. They made Booker work so hard. Booker played fantastic. His first and third quarters were amazing. But that was a 100% playoff b- blueprint. If you're not going to go get a point guard, that is what teams are going to do to Devin Booker. It's going to be really hard to win four games out of seven when they are playing that physical. That was an incredibly physical game. I didn't like the officiating last night, but it was consistent, so you can't complain about it. Guys were getting run over quite a bit. I heard uh, Kevin Harlan talk last night, and he when he talked about the Phoenix Suns defense, and he was like, "Yeah, this is." I think it was around the third quarter. He was like, "This is by far one of the by far the best defense I've seen from the Phoenix Suns all yes. season." And I thought I agreed. Yes, like, they closed out really well, but the, I mean, Luca's shooting over these guys. Like yes. Luca's just overly dominant. Yes, give Dallas credit for they they moved the ball like crazy against that incredibly hustling defense. That's what scares me the most is I thought the Suns played really hard and lost. Man, it's so much like it's not easier to take when you don't play hard because I'm just mad. Like, why are you cashing your check? Don't you understand you represent us? You know, and I start losing my mind and I never understood people that don't play hard. But it's kind of scary as a fan when they really play hard and get the cra- and, and lose. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, are we not that good? What are we doing? What, what's going to happen? Yeah, but even on the flip side, because uh, I've been to a great, a decent amount of uh, Suns games this oh, season, yeah. and I can only count maybe two games where the Suns out-rebounded their opponent. Yeah. So the fact that this still hasn't been addressed after the All-Star game kind of worries it's, me. It's a problem. It's, it's a problem. Um, this is one that's interesting because it goes right along. The next one from Vogel goes right along with what you're saying. When they don't rebound great, sometimes they go the opposite way. They decide, let's play small ball, so let's run ourselves back and forth into better shots so we don't have to worry about our rebounding problems and try to speed the other team up. Playing small ball has worked almost all year until it didn't. <laughs> they got smashed playing small ball yesterday. Yeah, well, our small ball's been really good. It's won us a few games. Um, you know, when you're looking at trying to slow down Luca and you want switchable defenders out there, uh, it makes sense to do that. But, you know, we didn't, like I said, we didn't uh, play offensively well enough. I think not having Brad in a game like that, you know, uh, is, is a big factor because he's one of those guys in the small ball that can really touch the paint at will, you know. And, um, you know, I didn't think we get enough penetration offensively. But, um you know, like I said, it's been a, you know, our small ball's been winning us some games, but didn't do it tonight. 
So when you talk about small ball, keep in mind Doncic is six is a six seven point guard. So when you're going small, that even feeds into his game even more because you can't be as physical. And the way you beat Doncic is being physical. I, I'm sorry to say this to Mr. and Mrs. Doncic. I know you raised your boy well. Okay, he's a, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but Doncic is a wuss. Nobody wants to just come out and say it. Doncic is a wuss. He just happens to be great, okay? He's a great player. But, oh, my gosh, can you easily bang him around if you want to? Well, the Suns go small, so they don't bang him around. People think Kyrie's small because he looks small on the court. The guy is 6'2 and strong. So he's there. And then they got Green, who's 6'5 with arms that don't stop. So this is a bigger team that plays as if they're a small team, the way they move the ball up the court. So going small against the Mavericks actually helps them. It doesn't work, in my opinion, against them. But I'm not ripping Frank Vogel for saying, why would you go small against the Mavericks? The reason why is because what they were doing wasn't working either. <laughs> what the, their original game plan didn't work. Now, he says they didn't execute what they were supposed to. Okay, maybe that's a player issue, but whose job is it to hold the players accountable? It's either your game plan stunk or you didn't hold them accountable when they didn't run that game plan. One or the other. Uh, last one from Frank Vogel. What is your game plan with Bradley Beal out with the bad hamstring? Yeah, well, with Brad, with Brad out, you know, I don't know if uh... – you know, we're quite deep enough to go small as long as we did. You know what I mean? So we were trying to measure, you know, when to get uh, Nurk or another center back in there uh, versus playing the, the, the smalls. But, you know, the, the switching uh, lineup is what we were seeking. And we were hoping to, to generate more offensively. And, you know, we've been, we've been killing it with our small ball offense, you know, but we didn't play the way we've been playing, you know, with, with that lineup. So, um, you know, wasn't good enough on that side of the ball. I was happy with some of the things we did with our switching. But um, not enough. It worries me because this is all really cyclical, okay? Going small against the Mavericks isn't great, and he admits they probably went too long going small, especially without Bradley Beal as part of the small lineup. However, remember when he said iso ball? They played too much. That's isolation. Well, the whole reason you go small is because the ball movement pops. When you're big, you give it to the big down low, and then kind of a lot of people kind of stand, and you almost play like a point center when he's distributing. But you do a lot of standing. When you're going small, it's movements, it's cuts, it's we're going to athletically beat you. The Suns did something really stupid when it comes to execution. They played small and then played isolation ball. What? <laughs> That's two completely divergent ideas. You don't go ISO as a small team unless the other team's smaller than you. That's, that's a weird juxtaposition of bad coaching and bad basketball IQ from an incredibly intelligent basketball team. That last night did not make sense. It is everybody's fault. He's right. They stayed with small ball too long. It wasn't working. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because going big wasn't working either. But what I can't understand is why you couldn't get through to the players. We're going small, so don't play ISO. Move the ball. It's a bad game. And the, the positive is it's a bad game and you only lost by 10. Admittedly, that part's a positive, but I'm kind of reaching, you know. There's a lot more negatives from this game than there are positives. The number one thing, as I told you yesterday – and I, I do not want to say Izzy was right, but Izzy was right. Um, 
I said, I'm worried about Denver. I'm worried about the Clippers. They're far and away better than the Suns. It's not even close. But I say the Suns are right there as number three. And they totally prove they are not right there as number three. And I don't think just dropping Bradley Beal solves everything. Let's quickly do D-backs. Um, I love D-backs, and they deserve so much attention if, uh, at the beginning of this season as the current National League champions. The talk of yesterday was the new uh, Japanese product, Yumin Lin. And uh, I don't know anything about him. I admit to you, I let you down as a member of the Unplugged Army. I was working sales-wise a lot yesterday, and I didn't get an opportunity to go to spring training, and I knew he was throwing, and I don't know anything about him. And I wanted to go see him, and I didn't. But boy, did a lot of people talk about him. We'll start with manager Tori Lovello. Yeah, um... Everything is around the zone. Uh, correctable mistakes when he, when there's misfires. Um, good mound presence. Able to accept the coaching that he was getting. Um, I saw 21 of his pitches. I didn't see the entire thing. But um, I really liked what I saw. The shape of his pitches was, was, was spot on. Um, his ability to command all those pitches was, was very good. Um, fastball looked like it had a nice carry and good ride to it. So very impressive. A great, a great topic is the phrase shape of the pitches. What he's referring to is the shape is arm slot staying in the same spot for every pitch and the pitch after it's released trying to stay on an even plane as late as possible. Now, what does all that mean? Because I might have confused you even more. That means you really want all of the pitches to come out of the same area and actually follow a similar path for as long as possible. That way the batter gets confused on what the pitch is and then boom, the pitch, it's almost like the pitch separates and you're going, Doug, you're getting worse. What do you mean the pitch separates? That means is if your fastball comes in like this, then you want to see your curveball come in and then drop halfway. So the guy's thinking that might be a fastball. Be, oh, it's not a fastball after you've already started your swing. And then your changeup, you want it to look exactly like your fastball and start looking like your curve. If you throw a nasty slow curve that has a big 12 to 6 hump in it, that does that has great shape on its own but doesn't match the other pitches, which in a sense puts stress on that pitch means that pitch has to be so good that it justifies throwing out of a different tunnel having it look differently when i say tunnel that simply means the eye view of the hitter straight to the pitcher's arm slot that so many pitches look the same that's how you miss bats that's what's wanted that's how you get weak contact so he's saying it's good now no catcher in the history of the game has ever caught a bullpen, caught a session in spring training, and then went to the media and said, man, he looks terrible. I don't know why we signed this guy. I hope he starts in the minors, and I hope he starts listening because we're not going to be able to take this. Okay? Nobody's – no catcher has ever ripped a pitcher in spring training. So, yes, Moreno is going to say great things about uh, Lynn. However – he does gush pretty strong that I that maybe I do believe it. Uh, he's running well. Uh, he has pretty good stuff. Uh, he makes uh, a lot of pitches and he was nasty. He was nasty and he do the job. I faced him two times. Today was amazing and I'm happy for him. Now, when I say that, keep in mind with Gabby Moreno, he 
doesn't speak great English, and I respect, well, he sounded great. I respect him so much because he considers it very important, not just to be a better, to be a better teammate. And I have so much respect for that. If I was a better member of the media, I would have spent more time getting to know Spanish, and I haven't. So I really respect that. But when he's to, he really hung on that word nasty, and that's what I want to hear, is for him to say it was nasty stuff, that's, that's, that's code. That's good. Like you can say, oh, he threw well, he did this, he did But when you drop nasty... That makes me feel good. You seen this wind up? Yes. Oh, it is trifling. It's trifling. <laughs> that would throw me like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't figure out hitting until like four games were left in my senior year of high school. So like I, I, I had a nice run at the end, but it took forever. It just really took forever for me to, uh, to lock in. And that would have thrown me. Two things threw me like crazy. Any curveball. I was awful. At oh, the same. I, I could not stay back. It drove me crazy. And then I'm fisting grounders somewhere. Like, I'm the only guy that gets jammed on curveballs because I just reach and then I pull back and I, ah, it drove me crazy. And we always knew if, if my team got scouted because I would walk up to the plate. I was I was a number five hitter, so I was, like, reasonably legit. And then they'd, they'd throw three straight curveballs and I'd go back and straight and sit down. But if they didn't scout us, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Kind of a... But a lot of stories today. A lot of stories. Yeah, it's fun though. No, that is. It is. I agree. All right, let's let's hit break three as I as I direct on air because I haven't hit the last break, and then let's try to go crazy on what happened with U of A last night and maybe even a little ASU. I love what Bobby Hurley said. I don't know how to feel. So proud of the guys for coming back by twenty. Why the hell were we down by twenty? That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwood Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on the home of the Tucson Sugar Skulls. This is WTSMTV.com. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. So who are you a fan of basketball-wise? If you're local, I got news for you. They lost. (laughs) We went 0-4 yesterday. GCU got upset in Texas. The Suns weren't upset, but they lost in Texas. U of A lost in Tucson, and ASU lost at home as well. Crazy how bad everybody was. Uh, Wazoo won 77-74. They now take over uh, first place. Bad foul. Four-point play. Four of Wells's 27 points were the four-point play. The three tied it with 24 seconds left. And then the free throw gave them the lead. And U of A couldn't come back. They lose. And now Wazoo's in first place. Tommy Lloyd, uh, that was a back-and-forth game. How do you feel about the guys? Good game. Two, two, you know, even two evenly matched teams, and you know they're playing really well, and they have a, you know, two different styles. It's kind of a clash of styles, and they did a really good job, you know, kind of, kind of controlling that game. I thought we were going to get out to a little run at that that start of that second half, and they kind of brought it back in and made the run on us. So then we kind of had to battle our way back in, but uh, you know, proud of the way our guys responded, and just you know, we just gotta, you know, we just gotta be able to finish the game and make one or two more plays. Um, 
you know, that, that's, that's what it comes down to. If you're a U of A fan and your goal is to be the last ever Pac-12 champion, I would worry about a thing. Caleb Love went four of 12 from three. He's better than a 25% shooter from three. Couple other things they can work on. They'll be fine. If your expectation is getting to the final four, now that's a problem. I still think they're a Final Four team. I just mean with what they showed yesterday. Washington State is good. They're not Final Four good. And you couldn't handle them. And 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 Ballo did well. But for the most part, I really thought U of A didn't use their athleticism well in this game. And, and Wazoo was able to junk it up with some high basketball IQ defenses. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking at. So from a Final Four perspective, that wasn't good enough. But maybe you learn from it. Tommy Lloyd was happy because he thought they were a lot better defensively. I mean, maybe, but I, but I don't think so. I mean, I, I think we were better defensively. You know, I just think we, you know, we were just probably made some poor decisions here and there that we, we just got to make some better decisions defensively. I thought the plan was fine. Um, you know, but, they, but they're, they're, they're going to come in here, and that's how they play. They, they're a ball control team, and then, you know, this defense they're running kind of, it's hard for your players to get rhythm, and then, you know, they're changing constantly, and even, you know, even, you know, you run a play, you have success, you know, then the next time they come out and they're making adjustments. So um, you're constantly, your players are having to play and kind of just bank on their fundamentals and concepts and, and and so they do a good job of keeping you off balance everything was was pretty much even and i think that's a negative for u of a and you you hear you heard him say you know they're a ball possession team it's really wazoo was able to dictate tempo in this game that has most to do with it look at it like this u of a had seven fast break points. It was seven to six. That is not what U of A needs. They could not push tempo at all. Give Wazoo credit, but that whoever dictates tempo a lot of times is who wins in NCAA tournament games. That's what would scare me if, I, if I'm if i a U of A fan because uh, they've got to dictate their own, own tempo. Okay, let's go to ASU. Disgusting, really. 21-point deficit in the first half. Massive comeback that had to do with two things. UW choking. I mean, that, that's got to be number one. But ASU actually playing hard and getting the message when Bobby Hurley went to the drastic effect of benching the entire starting lineup and putting in walk-ons, okay? He went to the bottom of the barrel saying, I'm through with this. I want people that are going to work hard. I love the way Bobby Hurley coached this game if it was December. This is the kind of drastic moves you make in December to wake people up. When you wait all the way until February, Bobby, it's too late. It's too late. Here is Bobby Hurley just fired up at the bad, the, I almost said the badness, <laughs> at the weakness of the starters and how well the bench played. But for me to get to the point that, that I, I'm going to the bench to the degree I did in the second half, uh, kind of tells you all that you need to know about what about how furious one could get to, to, to get to that point. But then after that, it's like we flipped the switch and that second unit came in and, and they got stops and we were able to, to put the ball. And it felt like we were stuck on 24 forever. I don't know how long it was, but it was a long time. And once we were able to break through that hurdle, then 
you know, that, that group energized everything that we did the rest of the way. And, and uh, that's where the admiration part sets in because, the, you know, we, we sat down and guarded. We, we defended with effort. We, you know, we created turnovers. We hit big shots. We, uh, you know, I, that game had no business, you know, going to overtime the way we played for 25 minutes. But somehow we were there. I think it's a very fair assessment. I think he's finally figured out Alonzo Gaffney's part of the problem. Gaffney only played 19 minutes. Only played 19 minutes. Little hustle, and I've been on all over Gaffney all year for this bad shot selection, but I don't. I blame pro players for bad shot selection. I blame coaches for bad college shot selection. Gaffney should have been held accountable a long time ago. I think Bobby Hurley's actually doing a good job coaching in the last two weeks. The problem is it took too long. He was way too nice for too long with this team. Um, Bobby, how are you feeling about just the effort and energy from your team, especially in the first half? I would say in terms of just as, as flat and as lifeless as, as we were across the board that I've, that I've watched and, and, uh, for the first uh, 25, well, not really 25 minutes, like 20 Three minutes, I guess, and then once I went to the bench and and got the the second unit in there, everything kind of changed the rest of the way. Can you imagine again if this was December and he's saying these stuff? That flips switches. That gets people's attention. All right, last one before we go to Steve. Um, this is one where why why did you need to go to the bench to get them to get your starters to react to that? Where's the disconnect? I mean, it's it's always good that, that if, if if you can you know step up in those moments and and make them. I mean, you know, credit to the kid, you know, to the kid Mia, you know, for you know for all his struggles at the line tonight. He you know when the game was on the line and it was tied, he, he went up and made made both free throws. So those are important. But I I'm a believer that there's no like singular play that is going to determine you know why you win or lose a game I think our game we deserve to lose because of the first 23 minutes of the game and then somehow we, we had a chance to win um, but we didn't you know we didn't make the shots we needed to make that's why like Sean is Phillips is distraught in, in the locker room right now he is uh, and, and but he competes and, and he works at it and it's you know he had a chance but it's not his fault either and we were collectively just uh and, and that's my fault because if i can't if i can't get them motivated to play you know when we're you know playing a game on on espn and it's uh you know a big you know good crowd and stuff then it's, it's my fault so i mean i i am uh, i'm the one who's who's responsible you know i i have to uh i have to answer to that i'm not getting through t- to the team Thanks. <laughs> That's an amazing a- a- admittance. What what could be the end of your tenure? To admit it on February 23rd, you're not getting through to your team. Man, do I praise that man's honesty. But at the same time, you hear something like that as a, as a potential new athletic director. Guess what one of your first moves is? Moving on from Bobby Hurley. You, what else are you going to do? Steve McCollum's coming up. He'll be here from 8 to 10. He'll also be joining us later on today to play golf as, as he's teeing it up as well. So please come out and see Steve and Dale today at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. When I say we went 0 for 4 last night, 
Suns ASU U of A GCU where's your mind go uh, Suns have a mismatch problem with the Mavericks. I think we've known that for a little bit now. Uh, they've got to figure that out. Uh, but ASU, man, Bobby Hurley, he the way he talked last night, I have a different clip than you just played where he's just – you know, you know, just looking back at the season and things like that tells me he's been told his job's on the line. Mm, mm, that's an interesting his, his yeah, attitude. Is complete. If he would have had this fire and passion, like you said, November, December, we wouldn't be in this position totally now. But he agree. has it today. Yeah. That tells me he's looking back going, maybe he hasn't been told, but maybe he's thinking uh, his job might be on the line yeah, because yeah. of it. Because it, it was a 180 last night. Uh, and uh, to put your bench players in and be so proud of that uh, today, uh, yesterday, not a good sign yeah. when uh, the season's over. That's the thing. I love the move in December. Yeah. I'm not saying he was wrong to do it. I just mean this should have happened so long ago to get through to the guys he, and he waited. He's doing that stuff that head coaches do when they know their job's on the line mm. and they're, they're trying anything now to yeah. try to save their job and uh, when you should have been fighting that hard all he was just all season long he's just been like hey we can't shoot hey we can't yeah. do this oh we can't do that oh the players aren't motivated and then last night he's like we gotta get these guys motivated we yeah. gotta do this yep. we gotta get it's like okay what Changed his jobs on the lines. What changed? I, I also, and you still might be right, so I'm not changing your opinion. Yeah. I'm looking at it through a different prism. Of here's my frustration is that he didn't see the writing because earlier in the season he was saying, Get off of Alonzo Gaffney's back. He was mad at the yeah. crowd for groaning when he shoots, he was defending <laughs> yeah. his players a lot and just yeah. saying, We're just not making shots. Now the exact same thing is happening. Mm -hmm. And he's changing his tune. And what bothers me about it is, listen, I love, especially if I'm a dad of a kid that's playing, I love that you believe in my kid so much that you're defending him when they really don't deserve defense. Okay. But I, I buy that he believed that. I don't think he was just doing it hoping something good would happen. I think he truly believed this is the best way to handle it and, and yeah. ran to protect the players when it was an effort issue all along. Yeah. And you can't defend lack of effort. Well, that's the problem with it, right? Is uh, He was either blind to it which I think he was, or you didn't see a problem with it. Mm -hmm. Which one's worse? Because they're both bad. Mm -hmm. And last night he went, uh-oh, you know, in yeah. this game he went, uh-oh, I sh haven't fixed this yet. Yeah. Season's wrapping up. We got a new AD coming in, something, something. It's not good. And it's uh, whether he's been told or he doesn't know, but he, I firmly believe he knows yep. his job's on the line after watching last night. You don't change like that, uh, uh, you know, and make, and make those drastic changes on February 22nd yep. unless uh, you're trying to show that you can motivate these guys, which he hasn't done all season, and that's the problem. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. The, uh, you know, it's interesting. You said they have a matchup problem with the Mavericks, and that's something that we've all known. I admit, I didn't know. I mean, uh, I knew it wasn't good, but I didn't know it was that bad. It looked really bad the, yesterday. Well, I mean, it's changed. It's ebb and flowed because yeah. the Mavericks added some pieces. Uh, look, the the threat of the trade deadline was other teams are going to get better than the Suns because they're going to add players the Suns didn't or couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, Luca has been a mismatch for them for a while. And that's what I meant by that comment. Yeah, but yeah, now if you true. add those other pieces to Luca and they gel, Suns are going to be a lot. It's like the, you know, the Pelican, 
you know, the uh, Pelicans back in the day or Memphis, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where uh, it was always a matchup problem. It's going to be the same thing with the Mavericks. And, uh, you know, look, let Lucas score 40 50. Who cares? It's shutting down everybody else. Uh, they couldn't shut down Kyrie last night. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, look, the problem last night, I didn't, I, maybe you said it and I didn't hear it. Uh, look, the problem is when Kevin Durant has a terrible game, the Suns have no chance to win against really, really good teams. And he was terrible last I didn't, night. I did not say that. And that's a fantastic point, which you, is you really. You can't go nine for 23 and expect to yeah. win a ball game against a uh, really good team. Especially when they went, uh, this is what really confused me. And I'm, I'm staring at Frank Vogel because I, I always love the line, you either, you're either coaching it or you're or you're condoning it they went so iso there was yeah. i mean there were a couple times the ball moved but it was so lacking yeah. and it was it was i don't want to call it selfish because i want kevin durant shooting yeah but it was so much of hey guys i will get us out of this even when booker scored and he's a fantastic player he was scoring one on four yeah and it's just that's not gonna work through 48 minutes and i look at frank vogel yeah. and said either the guys aren't listening to you or you were okay with it. I, I don't know which yeah. one, but both are bad. Judging by his comments afterwards, I think you played his clip on that. I, I firmly believe he's okay with it. In the moment, he's okay with it. Then after the game, he's like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But uh, why have the Suns lost in the playoffs the last several years when they get beat? It's because teams have learned you shut down Booker, you double team him, you triple team him. Nobody else is going to step yeah. up. Yeah. And when that's what happened last night. And that's what I mean by the matchup problem. Kevin Durant has a bad game. Boom. You're out of, you lose the game no matter how well you play. Uh, and the Suns have to figure that out. And that's where that toughness in the playoff system comes in. Last night, to me, was the first test of that. I'm not sure they have that playoff toughness that they've lacked in the last few years uh, with last night's game. So they're going to have to develop that over the next, what, 26 games? Yeah, at least. And this is, this is bottom of the barrel stuff. At least they didn't go into their officiating whining. Yes. I, I, I thought I didn't like the way the game was officiated, but I thought it was consistent. Yeah. So it, it was just physical. We're going to let you guys beat on each other. And the Suns didn't whine about it. Yeah. Now, they didn't execute, to your point about toughness, yeah. but at least they didn't whine. I don't think the Suns will lose to the Mavs in a seven-game series, but it's a threat. That's, that's fair. Yep. Have a good show. See ya. Six to eight. Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Eight to ten. The main event with Steve McCollum and Dale Hellestray right here on WTSMTV.com. And then, coming up later today, uh, I don't know if he's going to have any beer on a beer Friday because I've never even seen Izzy drink a beer. But from 1 to 2, you've got iOS Izzy on sports, which is a great bridge of here's what happened last night, here's what I'm thinking about today. Perfect thing to do uh, right when you get back from lunch is to watch WTSM and see Izzy at 1 o'clock today. Uh, versus Vegas, not good. Not good. It's the worst kind of thing that happens. And the reason why I say it's the worst kind of thing that happens, when you go for blood money and you don't win and your team doesn't win. Last night, I said, you dub. This one's kind of easy. I, I think I dropped the love category. I love you dub minus two and a half. No doubt. No doubt. The way ASU is playing, they've checked out. They've quit on their coach. They've quit on the city. This is an easy one. And ASU's slaughtered in the first half. Man, did I have that right. Down by 21. It goes to overtime, and UW only wins by two. It was the hook, Mikey. Two and a half. What happened? So not only does my team lose, but my bet is wrong at the same time because UW doesn't cover. That stunk last night. 
So I lose that game with UW favored by two and a half. I took them to cover, and ASU loses 82 to 80. The other game, we're just going to flat out blame Steve McCollum completely for this game. Toronto is on the back end of a back-to-back going to take on Steve McCollum's Golden Knights. And Vegas lays their biggest egg of the year. Toronto wins 7-3, and Vegas was hardly ever even in this game. Got destroyed. Now, I realize. <laughs> Steve's mic's not all, but he just yelled it's not his fault. I realize that, let's look at me for a second. When I say it's a back-to-back, that means you're playing two NHL games back-to-back. Did Toronto really play two NHL games back-to-back? They played the Coyotes. <laughs> okay. But, 7-3. to three. I had Vegas on the money line. There's no reason to cover anything. So, Vegas did not cover because they didn't win. So, I go 0-2. So, right when I got back off the schneid with a great 3-1 night a couple days ago, I'm now 0 for my last three. Hopefully, we, we get things changed tonight. Uh, I love this game. And I'm normally not an Atlanta Hawks fan, but this does not make sense to me at all in the NBA. Do you realize Toronto's in a foreign country? Maybe you didn't. Do you realize there's customs? Yes, athletes have incredible travel. Ask Dale Hellestray about being a professional athlete when it comes to travel. You you get amazingly spoiled. You think the world should fly charter. You might not know this, but when I used to travel with ASU, the TSA comes to us. We're sitting there at ASU, and you go through the TSA right there at the stadium. And then they have security watching the bus. You get on the bus, you bus right to the tarmac. And then, boom, you get on the plane right there. No jetways, no airport in the sense, of course, you know, you're on a runway, but, but no worrying about security there. You just do it. Okay, they got that. But you still have customs. And the uh, uh, Toronto Raptors played last night, and then they fly to Atlanta. Now, I don't know about you. I have never crossed over the Canadian border into Georgia before. That's, that is ridiculous. So I love Atlanta tonight, but they got to cover six and a half. Now, if you want money, you'll crush it if you take Atlanta on the money line. That's going to hit. The problem is your $5 bet's going to win you about a buck and a quarter. I'm not betting a whole beer on one drink of somebody else's beer. So I can't take the money line, even though I know it's going to hit. I'm going to take Atlanta minus the six and a half. No way to me does Toronto handle the back end of a back-to-back going across the border and then coming all the way down to Georgia. The other one, I like this game. I'm a little nervous that the spread is this big. Charlotte and Golden State are both coming off of back-to-backs. At least, though, Golden State was home. Charlotte's on the road in both games. The problem is the spread is high. It's 13 and a half. I think Charlotte is terrible. The problem is Golden State just had an emotional win against the Lakers, and now they're playing basically a team that would struggle in the ACC. Okay, Charlotte's a disaster. So 13 and a half on the back end of a back-to-back is a lot if Golden State's unfocused, and you could easily be dealing with that. I think they're veteran enough to focus, so I'm going to take uh, a Golden State to cover the 13 and a half, but I'm not jumping on the table, you know, incredibly confident about that. I know Golden State's going to win, but I could easily see 
Charlotte keeping it close through most of the game because Golden State's unfocused. Golden State flips the switch, tries hard at the end, and wins by a comfortable seven or eight points. That doesn't do us any good when it's 13 and a half. But I'm still going to take Golden State. Minus the 13 and a half, so those are my two games for tonight. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Please find a way, as a member of the Unplugged Army, to join us today. I'll be out at Civlik for breakfast around 1030. Feel free to sit with me. Let's yap, talk about sports or life. I'll be on the course from noon until four or so, and then I'm headed to Trophy Bar in Chandler on Queen Creek Road to enjoy happy hour with you. Please try to time out one of those things as a sanctioned event to show our sponsors uh, basically that we are going to become an economic force in order for them to keep advertising with us, and then we can create change through WTSMTV.com by holding teams accountable, bringing the heat, and hopefully we win some championships because of it someday. Yes, I am dreaming that big of us getting to that point. Are we there yet? Not even close. But I hope we can get there. So please join me today and have a great weekend and enjoy uh, everything else uh, for the weekend. By the way, I could use your help. If you've got any Euchre lessons for me, the world-famous Franz Family Euchre Tournament is tomorrow night. I have never won my own tournament. More annoyingly, my wife has won the tournament before. And secondly, my evil arch rival, former neighbor that moved across the railroad tracks has won the tournament before. So the two people I can't lose to have both won the tournament. It's got to end. It's got to end tomorrow. I've got to bring it and make sure that I am able to dominate. And more importantly, my daughter's playing this year, so make sure I beat her. I, I can't stand losing to her. So... I don't really want you to pray for me to play cards. That's kind of crappy. There's a lot of better things to pray for. But just just root for me. Think I need your positive vibes for it. That's going to be important. Dominate your weekend. You've earned your pillow. Have a great time this weekend. I'll see you hopefully today and definitely Monday. The main event is up next.